some of you might be experiencing a little bit of deja vu from last week from the gospel reading. Last week we read a very similar account as told in the gospel of John. And this week we get to hear Luke's side of the story. If Mark is the Hemingway of the gospel writers and John is Faulkner, then Luke is Plato. Plato, as you'll recall, was a follower of Socrates, part of his community, who wrote well after Socrates died. You probably remember that Socrates did not write anything himself, but he survived primarily by Plato's dialogues, in which Plato took Socrates' statements and things related to his teachings and his style and organized them brilliantly into these narratives and dialogues that have endured the ages. Same goes for Luke, or really Luke-Acts, which is a two-part series, the first on the life of Jesus, and the second on what happened to Jesus' followers after his resurrection. As we see today in Luke's narrative, Jesus is a teacher, Like Socrates, his dialectic approach helps people learn, helps his students approach it and engage it interactively. Like any good teacher, Jesus reveals things that were there all along, but veiled. When I was in high school, there were these peculiar, like, dots filled posters everywhere. Uh, at first glance, they, they look like some sort of like, like neon Jackson Pollock paintings with even less representational patterns. But if you let your eyes relax while staring at these posters, a 3D image would pop out. Do you guys remember these things? <laughs> some people called them magic eye posters. But their official title is Autostereogram meaning that they allow a viewer to have an illusion of a 3D image from a 2D image, stereogram, and auto, without the use of lenses or glasses, so that the thing does it itself, auto-stereogram. Some of these auto-stereograms had uh, images of fish, or like coral reefs, and bears and elephants, or like Indian deities and celebrities, and various psychedelic paraphernalia. One of the most famous auto-stereograms was the cover of a Dave Matthews band record. If that doesn't date it, I don't know what would. (laughs) Some of you might remember this thing. The record was called Remember Two Things. And when your eyes relaxed on looking at this album cover, if you could do it, back then it was CDs, so it was like really small. You didn't have a huge poster to do it. But if you let your eyes relax, you'd see the 3D image of a peace sign. (laughs) As ridiculous as that was, it brings us back to our discussion from last week. Jesus' shalom-based practice. This week, Jesus teaches the disciples how to see the magic eye. How to see God's shalom at work in the resurrection in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Instead of just leaving a magic eye poster of the resurrection on the disciples' doors, as we see in, say, Mark or uh, John, in Luke, Jesus sticks around to help them see the image. 
Jesus talked through the scriptures with his students. He helped them see things that were written by Moses, the prophets, and the psalmist that pertain to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The disciples had these texts, right? They had them, and they knew them, but they'd never looked at them like that before. Suddenly, God's shalom jumped out at them in 3D. In Luke, Jesus' shalom goes the distance. He doesn't solve the mystery. He deepens it. Luke features the road to Emmaus in which Jesus appears to a few of his disciples while walking and talking, then breaking bread with them. And then, as in John, Jesus appears to all of his disciples and shows them his wounds. He has them touch them. Remember last week, we had Doubting Thomas. He missed out on the action, and then he, he was all in once he finally got to see the wounds, see Jesus for himself. But in Luke, Jesus goes further to prove that he is not a ghost, not something else. He does something he doesn't do in the other Gospels. He eats. He eats with them. That act of eating tells us so much about the resurrected Jesus. It's comforting to the disciples to see Jesus, right? It's triumphant for them to hear him, to talk with Jesus. It's affirming to touch Jesus, to feel his wounds, and know that they are the same teacher who was killed on the cross. And presumably, with him in the room, they could smell him. But Luke includes an appeal to the fifth sense. By eating, tasting, Jesus reveals the depths of his bodily presence. There's something so special about the act of eating, particularly eating together. It is that moment in which we reveal that we are interconnected, that we all need energy to live, that our bodies must be sustained, and that we are part of this earthly and sacred transfer of energy from the sun to the plants to the animals and back to the soil. In eating, we reveal that we are part of this planet. That's what Jesus does. He reveals that he is still part of this good earth. He has not Skyped in a message to the disciples. He's not on FaceTime. He's not using some kind of 3D modeling to be present with the disciples either. There's no technology from Wakanda here. By eating, Jesus is saying, here I am. All of me. I am here with you. Nothing does that like a meal. Think of all the meals you have had with people you love. Family meals, childhood meals, lunches with friends, anniversary dinners, rehearsal dinners, graduation dinners, romantic dinners, toddler breakfasts, mother and child, breastfeeding, nourishment, and of course, the Eucharist, the remembering of Christ. In his book, Faith and Food, theologian Norman Wiersbaugh describes that the early church ate together regularly and often. 
it was central to their practice. And he says the act of remembering Jesus in their eating was not simply to recall a past event. It was to invite Jesus to transform what they were doing together. They knew that eating together shapes who we are. About 10 years ago, there was a study of all the students from the top Ivy League schools to see what these students had in common, what had contributed to their academic achievement, what from their childhoods. They examined everything from financial background, location of childhood home relative to nature, race, class, family size, etc., etc. And in the end, there was one common trait. Family dinners. The best and brightest all came from families where shared meals were a priority. The simple act of sitting down and eating together enabled those children to do extraordinarily work. More recent studies suggest that family meals lead to higher self-esteem, higher grade point average, higher resilience. And family meals are linked to lower rates of substance abuse, lower teen pregnancy, lower eating disorders, and lower depression. Point being, eating together is important. Jesus gets that. So he eats. And what does Jesus eat? Fish. Fish. Now, I don't know where this fish has come from. I don't know where they got fish in the high desert hills of Jerusalem. They're a long way on foot from the ocean. They're a long way from Galilee and the Jordan. And to my knowledge, having been there, there are no trout-filled streams in that neck of the woods. But I love that he eats fish. Jesus eats fish with fishermen. (laughs) Jesus eats home cooking. He eats their food. Have you ever been away, maybe traveling or living abroad and and away from the food that you love? (laughs) Have you been sad, somewhere and long for that food that you grew up with. For some of you, maybe it was the first time you went away from home to like camp or college maybe, or boarding school for a few of us. (laughs) But then you had to eat some different food. Maybe you didn't even know how much you missed the food you grew up with until you came home and ate a meal in your own home. Food is such a crucial part of culture. And I love trying new foods when I'm traveling, right? Everything from fine dining and home-cooked meals to street food. What and where people eat defines culture. And it can be hard to be away from your own culture. One of the best meals I have ever had was the Thanksgiving I ate when I was studying abroad in Chile. As Mary Beth calls it, it was a, it was a Friendsgiving. 
you know, uh, <laughs> a bunch of expat friends all, the, all got together uh, from the two universities where I studied. And, of course, we couldn't find, like, all the ingredients we needed for a proper Thanksgiving meal. There were definitely no sweet potatoes or yams, how, however you call them, depending on where you're from. But we had turkey, mashed potatoes, and some other stuff alongside Chilean bread, ahi chileno, Chilean wine, and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Studying abroad, learning another language, assimilating in a different culture can be exhausting. From time to time, you need a break. You need good friends who speak your language, who eat your food. The kingdom of God, the way of grace, is like eating your childhood food. It is a break from a consumptive culture that leaves so many dissatisfied and lonely. The Jesus way, the kingdom of God, is the path of deep interconnection with the earth, the stars, the universe, and all that gives life. In Luke, Jesus' shalom-based practice is as simple and reassuring as filling and life-giving as eating the food you love with the people you love. Amen.